There's always been something about waves and the ocean that God has used to minister to me. I grew up a little Florida kid in Pensacola, right in the Gulf of Mexico, and spent my childhood cast net fishing, my dad, my brother, my cousins, uncles, catching crabs in Pensacola Bay, bringing them straight to the gumbo pot, where my grandmother was by the campsite, and surfing. Surfing has always been this blessing that God has, has, has given me. It's a, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful discipleship tool. I remember bringing seven of my surfboards and a ton of students to the ocean, teaching them to surf, forgetting to tell them about the leashes at the first onset, immediately regretting that oversight. As <laughs> I saw families playing on the shoreline, and then a bunch of teenagers who had no idea what they were doing with surfboards, just attacking the waves and praying, praying to God. We had good liability insurance. But then, as teenagers do, the metabolisms of caffeinated cheetahs, like they do, they immediately were better than me at it by, by, the, by the first year. And it was, uh, it, it, was a, it was a blessing. It became a discipleship tool, part of our culture. I was able to surf here. I went to ocean shores and got to surf here. It was incredible. The Pacific has really, really strong waves, really good waves. And it, it's a blessing, man. I love it. I love it. Grew up in Pensacola. I had to, you know, with, with small waves, you had to use, use like a nine-foot boat to surf on. But here in the Pacific, you can get a shorter board and you can do a little bit more. Now it's a blessing and it's showing me just how out of shape I really am as I try to surf again. Because <laughs> here to get out there, you got to battle through like layers of soup before you actually get to where the waves break. Once you get out there, you're exhausted and it's time to surf. <laughs> God has used waves to teach me things. I'm fascinated with just how waves are formed, right? There, there are different kinds of waves. There's windblown surf, like if the wind is blowing on shore all night, the next morning you can anticipate it won't be particularly organized, but there'll be surf there, right? You can also, you can also ride tidal waves. Now, tidal waves and tsunamis are often misconstrued, but they're different things. Okay, a tsunami is when there is a shift in the earth's crust and the ocean floor out at sea, an earthquake out at sea. And then the water withdraws and then comes back with a force. So if you ever go to the beach and the beach isn't there, <laughs> speed inland. That's what a tsunami is, but a tidal wave is something different. Right, a tidal wave is the gravitational pull of the sun or the moon drawing upon this large body of water. And so it draws upon it from the deep, this force that is literally from beyond this world from the sun and the moon, drawing upon a body of water, and that force is invisible. That force uses the water as merely a catalyst. And when you're out on your boat in the depths, you can't see it, but it's there. It passes under the way. It only becomes visible when it drags along the seafloor or is displaced by jetties or a pier. And then it manifests in this perfect, perfect form as it rises up and crests and crashes. And all oh, when it crashes, it's powerful. If you're ever struggling with the sin of pride, go, go wade out into the ocean and feel the power of a wave that pins your back to the sea floor and presses the air out of your lungs. 
You'll be humble. <laughs> this powerful, powerful force that literally is otherworldly. Indirectly, what you're feeling is the gravitational pull of the moon and the sun pressing the air out of your lungs. It's only manifest through the water. The water is just the catalyst by which the force is observed and experienced. There are also storm surges. When I lived in Pensacola, this was the only time to get good surf, really. Everybody would be leaving the beach because there's a tropical depression and a tropical storm, and the surfers would all be going to the beach, finally getting to use our shortboards for the first time in a year. The ways that waves are formed reminds me, it gives me a picture in my mind of, of, of the gospel and how the gospel works. It may be a bit of a stretch, but, but go with me on this. In the same way, the tidal waves are formed by this force that is beyond this world, the Holy Spirit of God, not physical, but his spirit from beyond what you can see. And that force begins in the unseen deep from before the ages began, the prescience of God. It rises up, becomes visible right here in Highlands Community Church and will in this room as the gospel is presented that wave comes upon us, crashes over us, overwhelms us. We are convicted for sin, convinced utterly and irrevocably that Jesus is Lord. And there, washed sinners are made clean by the grace of Jesus. The wave comes crashing down. I believe today the swell is rising. Amen? God has used surfing waves in the ocean to minister comfort to my heart. A couple of years after my son Aiden died, I had a dream about him. I don't claim to have been given a prophetic dream. Everything that we need from God's revelation is right here in his word. This wordless dream was to me what James describes as a good and perfect gift from heaven, merely ministering comfort to a grieving father's heart. I had a dream that I'd paddled out on the water in this perfect surf and the sun was sort of stuck at a high sunset. It stayed there. And a man with long hair and tan skin paddled out and joined me. His eyes were blue like his mother's, as Aiden. And I knew who he was. We didn't talk, but I just knew who he was. I began to ask him deep questions of God, theological matters that have perplexed theologians over which smarter authors than I have debated for millennia. And in his heart, he seemed to just know the answer to every single question and knew why I asked it, but also knew that it was ultimately inconsequential in the moment, but showed me grace nonetheless. He just knew the deep things of God and smiled. I asked him how our family would turn out. How is this gonna go? And again, with a smile, he just knew it's gonna be okay. And I surfed with my boy for like four hours. Sun stuck at sunset the whole time. And he knew that the time had come and he, he smiled at me and he waved and then he turned on his board and paddled back into the sunset. When I woke up, I cried and cried, but my heart knew peace for a moment. There's always been something about waves in the ocean. When we moved to Nashville, I gave away half my surfboards, but I couldn't bear to part with the others. 
And the movers were asking, why are you bringing surfboards to the very middle of the United States? <laughs> and I just couldn't part with it. I'm so glad that I didn't because now we're back near the ocean again and it feels like home. While we lived in Nashville, I felt compelled to make something for my children. I wanna show it to you. Would you welcome Jesse Ketchum to the stage as he helps me? Now, I'm not, I'm not particularly proud of like the artistic quality of this. That's not what this is, all right? I just got struck with inspiration when I was, my, my wife had to go by Hobby Lobby and pick something up, okay? That's, that's where this came from. This is, not, this is not a show and tell of art. It's an illustration and a story. But I, I made these paintings just to help us feel a little bit closer to, to the ocean, to feel a little bit closer to to the waves, and here, here are the paintings that I, that I made for my family. And their handprints are on each of them. So for each Campbell, there is a painting. See the, see the pudgy little handprint? <laughs> this, one is, uh, this one is Asa's two years ago. And they're not just individual pieces of art, rather like they, come together to form a, a collective and it's incomplete without all of them present. It's something that hangs high in our playroom and, and my, stu my, my, my children don't seem to notice that it's there often. Like they, in fact, Asa, Asa is the only one who even noticed that these were missing today. <laughs> so each of them Corresponds with a member of the Campbell family because Aiden's not here to give his handprint. This one is, this one is Aiden's. You can see his, his name and the infinity symbol above it. And I've, I've hung these high in our playroom over my children, hopefully high enough that it's out of their reach. But these, these paintings are symbols of something that is near and dear to our family's heart, our history. And they align with this tradition that God has had in our, in our family of ministering to us from the ocean with waves and through surfing. Something I hope to pass on to my children. And, and so it, it hangs above them all their lives. And I kind of hope that they get used to them and forget that they exist. And I'll share with you exactly why that is. Would you open your Bibles to Titus? Chapter one, Titus chapter one. This is the third and final of the pastoral epistles, letters written from Paul to Timothy and Titus, pastors whom he mentored. Timothy's ministry context was Ephesus, a culture very similar to American culture today. Titus's culture was different. The island of Crete, still called Crete, exists, of course, still today. I've seen it before. I've flown over it. It's quite beautiful from the air. It was full of people who had a really bad reputation. In fact, the term used to describe somebody who was from Crete, even today, is consider considered a pejorative. It's considered an insult. It's a solid intellectual burn if you call someone a Cretan, 
How many of you have heard that before? Cretan, right? Even Monsters, Inc., Mike Wazowski. <laughs> Incorrectly corrects the use of the term Cretan. Now, here's what's interesting. It was Titus who was called to go to Crete and to appoint elders in every town on Crete. He was called to make elders of the literal Cretans. Go and minister to those Cretans, Titus, literally. <laughs> and that's where the book of Titus comes from. So we will delve more into that cultural context, especially as we study the second half of the first chapter. But today, I want us to look at this very dense opening greeting, the book of Titus. Look at Titus 1, 1 through 4 with me, please. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. An opening greeting, but a potent teaching. Look at verse one with me. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. These are the titles that Paul gives himself in his opening statement. And it seems like merely a signature at the beginning, but there's more here. A servant of God. That seems obvious at first. What he means by a servant of God. It's pretty clear. Prima facie. However, it's often forgotten by Christians. A servant of God. Paul considers himself a servant of God. Christian, God does not exist to serve you. You are a servant of God. By all means, abide, bathe, and dwell richly in the grace and the mercy and the love that he pours out upon us in abundance, giving us immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I mean, isn't God's grace good, Christian? Absolutely it is good. Abide in that goodness, but do not mistake it for something you're entitled to. When you, as a Christian, in accordance with Romans 10, 9, which we will pray today, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and so you were saved, according to Romans 10, 9. When you said Jesus is Lord, that means that Jesus is Lord, and you, my friend, are not. You are, like Paul, a servant of God. May we not forget this. God doesn't exist to serve you. If he doesn't do what you say, that's okay. You're the servant in the relationship. It's not God who has to obey you. It's you who obeys God. It seems obvious, but it's often overlooked. Obvious things are. A servant of God. Okay, if you're new to church, the word apostle may have thrown you. A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means one who is sent out. One who's been sent. Being sent is at the core of Christianity. If you're a Christian, you've been sent. 
Pastor Jesse, I, I don't remember when I was sent. I'm looking at my calendar. I didn't get that email. There's nothing here. I'm... When was I sent? Where was I sent? All right, it's okay, Karen. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in the Christian Standard Bible. Jesus came near. And those first three words already preach, don't they? I gotta like resist the urge. I gotta stay on topic because like the first three words, Jesus came near, like bless my soul. They can enrapture and terrify and entice the sinner all at once. Jesus came near. Titus, Jesse, you're teaching Titus today. Mm, it's hard to resist teaching that. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That, the Great Commission, is when you were sent, Christian. Now, where were you sent? Here. Ask me how I know that. Because you're here. This is where you've been sent. Praise God. This is where we've been called. The front lines, the least church state in the U.S. One of two cities in all of American history that's never been in proximity to a revival. That's where you've been sent. Likewise, if God is calling you to go on global mission, this is a rich tradition in the history of Islands Community Church. If you suspect that God may be calling you to sell everything and move, to go share the gospel with people who need to hear it, he just might be. You listen and join the long storied history of members of Highlands Community Church who have radically given it all up in the name of the gospel because being a Christian is being sent. When Jesus healed a man of blindness, sent him to the fountain to wash his eyes, the name of that fountain was sent at Salome. To be a Christian is to be sent. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, a sent one. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. Uh-oh, there's that word. This word elect can be a buzzword. It can make Christians uncomfortable at times and want to debate with each other. We are God's chosen children adopted as sons and daughters of God. What a humbling prospect that God would choose to love and redeem sinners like us. It's a beautiful word. And even if you don't hold to Calvinistic theology, you still do hold to a doctrine of election in the corporate sense because you believe that God's chosen nation was Israel in the Old Testament. This is much the message of Romans chapter nine. The word elect the word elect does not, my Calvinist friends, automatically, absolutely, irrevocably prove every single theological assertion ever made by any hyper-Calvinist ever, okay? So please do not, Calvinists, take Titus 1 and beat your Arminian friends over the head with it, okay? Likewise, likewise, I'm Amaraldians, Molinists, I'm Arminians. Do not, 
especially those of the Armenian persuasion, do not come upon the word elect and say, ah, skip it. <laughs> I read what it says. All right, we, we studied 2 Timothy 3, and what did we learn? All scripture is breathed out by God, amen? What does scripture say? It says elect. And that's actually quite beautiful. It's quite beautiful. I hold to the doctrine of election. I believe that God elected the 12 disciples when he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. To whom was he speaking? His disciples. How many disciples were there? There were 12. How many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12. God sovereignly chose Israel so that all nations could believe and be saved. He chose the disciples and prayed not only for the disciples in John 17, but in John 17, as Jesus prayed for the 12 disciples, including the one doomed to destruction, it's Judas, also for those who would believe in him because of their message. I remember April 16th, 1991. I remember seeing the choir shout, crucify, the message given from John. And six-year-old me being convicted for my sin, overwhelmed, the wave crashing over me, bringing tears to my eyes. I am so grateful that God chose and elected John. I believe through John's message. This story of election is not something that you need to run from. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. 1 Corinthians 12 says that it's not possible for somebody to say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So at the end of this sermon, when we together say Jesus is Lord, if the person next to you came in, a sinner, it was far from God, when they say it for the very first time, Jesus is Lord, what's happening is a miracle of the Holy Spirit in the seat next to you. It's not as though saying the words Jesus is Lord is some sort of incantation. We're not pagans here. It's not like you say Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit gets up out of his recliner. I guess I gotta go save someone. They said the magic words. <laughs> no, it, it is the Holy Spirit of God drawing upon your heart. It is nothing short of a miracle in the seat next to you when the sinner proclaims Jesus is Lord. The wave rises, the spirit draws, the person believes, saved. God in his perfect foreknowledge before the ages began knows everybody who's gonna believe in him. It is his sovereign right to have chosen Israel as his nation through whom he would make the Old Testament law possible. It is his sovereign will to use this word in his text. This word elect is actually quite beautiful and I, I hope to paint a picture of that with this wave imagery. Look at the next words of that verse. Knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Your awareness of the gospel, your knowledge of the truth will lead to obedience to God's will. It will lead to godliness. In fact, a lack of obedience to God's will could indicate a lack of a knowledge of the truth. A lack of godliness, a perfect comfort, living in sin, unrepentant, with no spiritual fruit, no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no goodness, no gentleness, no faithfulness, no self-control, could indicate no knowledge of the truth, the absence of salvation. A knowledge of the truth will entail necessarily godliness, faith will be exhibited through good works and deeds as James describes. 
Your awareness of the gospel is gonna lead to obedience to God's will, knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness. Verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin. This is cool. God never lies. He never lies. Be careful, my skeptical friend. When you come to Highlands Community Church, you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, Highlands? You hear John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. For you to hear that and reject that is to say, I don't believe that God so loved the world. I don't believe he gave his one and only son. And I don't believe that if I believe in him, I'll not die but have everlasting life. This is tantamount to accusing God of lying as he lays plain for you the gospel by which you may be saved. And if you deny it, it is like accusing God of lying. Here's what 1 John 5, verse 9 through 12 says, the same thing. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Be careful, my skeptical friend. Be offered the gospel and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Reject, revile the Holy Spirit. Call it a lie. Say you disbelieve in it as though God is speaking under false pretense when he says he loves you and sent his son to die for you. If you believe in your heart that he resurrected from the dead, you'd be saved, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do not be condemned by the gospel presentations that you hear and then reject because your sins are too precious to you. Would you forsake the darkness and step into marvelous light as the Holy Spirit of God, like a wave crashes over you and draws you in today? Do not call God a liar by describing the gospel as untrue. Like Paul writes here, the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. I love this about waves, that they don't begin right there at the shore. When we see them crash, what we're seeing is something that began way out in the depths, way out in the unseen. We didn't observe it with our eyes, but we don't know that it's here until it's upon us. These waves begin in the deep and they crash over us, only visible as they overwhelm us. I think that the draw of the Holy Spirit of God is similar, beginning in the unseen depths and overwhelming our sinful hearts. I think it's beautiful. So this collection of paintings of my family, each individual, they all collect to make a wave. And it's not complete without one of them. That the whole, the whole painting, the whole picture would be one big wave. And it began before the ages. The election that God's drawing, the Holy Spirit crashing upon our hearts, would have its roots in a promise that came, like verse two says, before the ages began. Before the ages began. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He exists with perfect prescience, perfect pre-knowledge, 
foreknowing everybody who would come to believe in him. Before the ages even began came this promise of eternal life. Look at verse three. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. It is just such preaching that I hope to carry on here at Highlands Community Church as do all the other pastors who preach at Highlands Community Church. This is not a drill. This is the text alive. May the words leap from the page to grip you by the heart. Do you see the first words at the proper time? This just may well be precisely that, that proper time. My friend, you've been running from the gospel. You've been living in your sin instead, knowing that you're far from God, knowing that your sin separates you from God, knowing that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Knowing that the wages of your sin, Romans 6.23, is death. Enough. Enough running. Enough of this sin. Would you abide in the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus? If there's something pulling upon your heart to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's no other spirit in the universe that would do that except for the Holy Spirit of God. Now is the proper time. This, as just such preaching as is described in this text, is spoken over you. As just such timing is described in verse 3, this may be that proper time for you. Would you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Take hold of the eternal life described in verse 2, which has been promised before the ages even began. The, the wave started in the deep, drawn by forces beyond this world, and crashes upon you right here and now, today. At the proper time. Is this the proper time for you? Would you be saved today, today? Look at verse four. To Titus, my true child in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. It is no small thing. It is no small thing that Paul would refer to Titus as his true child in a common faith. This is a picture of adoption, to be spiritually adopted into the family of God. He gave Timothy a similar title, gives Titus the same name, my true child in a common faith. To believe in God has become a part of the family of God. John 1, 12. To all who believed on his name, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. Oh, what riches the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God and that is what we are. If you have been orphaned, if you are familyless, looking for a place to belong, you founded Highlands Community Church in the family of God. Looking for a basis for your identity, it is nothing short of this. As a Christian, you are a beloved child of God. Look at what we studied at high school camp. In 1 John 1, 1 through 4 on the screen. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
We studied this high school camp. We encountered God there. Impressed upon our high school students, this is true. What you've seen in the word of God is true. What the spirit of God has done in your heart is true. You've seen it with your eyes. You've felt it with your hands. Now your job like John's is to go and proclaim that truth to others and invite them into our fellowship so that our fellowship might be complete. Like 1 John 1, 4 says, and we are writing this so that our joy may be complete. Isn't that fascinating? Our joy may be complete. What does he mean by that? It means that when somebody's missing, your joy isn't complete, and it's not the same without you. It's not the same without you. As the Holy Spirit draws upon your heart, this is your adoption day. This is your gotcha day, as adoptive families call it. This is the day the Holy Spirit of God draws upon your heart. It's not the same until you believe, you confess, you are saved. You come into the family of God. So as the Spirit draws on your heart, we at Highlands Community Church are going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice because as you come into the family of God, our joy is made complete once more. Our whole family is together now that you're here. Amen, Highlands. When my family was out of the state, I had this one last night that I had to spend for coming up and preaching and going to high school camp the next day. My bride was heading to Florida to get the kids. The kids were all there. And so their bedrooms were empty and my room was empty and the living room was empty, the playroom was empty. Nobody in this house but this stupid little Yorkie. A Yorkie, a Yorkshire Terrier. You guys know what that is? It's basically a cat. <laughs> and those of you, those of you who have been here for a while, it's, we're, we're one year in this thing together. You, you, I, I know you. I know you. you sit up front, but you walk out the back. Why? Because you want to avoid hugging me. Because you know that I will hug the living snot out of you. So what am I to do when my whole family is out of town? My joy isn't complete, it's not the same. You guys know what I'm talking about. Parents, when one of your kids isn't home, it's not the same, is it? They're missing, it's not the same. Joy's not complete, your fellowship's not complete. You should be right here in my embrace, but you're not. I felt that emptiness, I felt that loneliness, and I missed my family. And I looked at that dog and said, come here. <laughs> Don't judge me. I'm still a man, even if I snuggle a Yorkie. Because <laughs> it's not the same when your embrace is slightly emptied. It's not the same when they're not there. It's not the same without you. As God draws upon your heart to be saved, would you make our joy complete? Would you make our joy complete by coming to be a part of the family of God? When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit's wave crashing upon you, bringing you into the family of God, Highlands Community Church will rejoice in new salvations. Amen, Highlands Community Church? Amen. Amen. I have something else I want to show you about these paintings. Now, you're all going to be in on something. This is a secret, okay? This is a secret from my kids. And we're all in on this together, all right? Thank you so much for the way you've loved my children, by the way. It's such a blessing to watch them get scooped up and hugged. It makes trips to Target very dangerous. But it blesses my soul that this church loves my children. 
I got something I got to show you, okay? They don't know about. On the backs of these paintings, I've, I've written letters to them. Words of encouragement and hope that have been true of them, though they've walked right under it and not known that it's there. Letters of love written by their father years before they see them. And so when the day comes that one of my children needs these, have their hearts broken, dreams crushed, I will say, go get your painting from the wave and see something that your father's written of you, it's been true of you, spoken over you, your whole life. And before the ages began, my true child in the face, this, this, this is what your father thinks of you. This is what has always ever been true of you. And I believe that some of you today may be reading the writing that this father has spoken over you from before the ages began. See, I told you election is beautiful. As you'd come to see what the father has written about you from before the ages and come to see that you are adopted into the family of God, that you are his child, that he loves you. You did not earn this. You did nothing to deserve this. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you come into the family of God? The wave rises, swells, it crashes upon you. You take your place in the family of God and then our joy is complete. It's not the same without you. So would you right now, as the spirit of God rises, crashes over you to wash you clean from sin and pull you close into the family of God, a true child in the faith, something that came from beyond this world by the Holy Spirit of God, before the ages began, now is the proper time as exactly this is preached to you. You are a true child in the faith. Now make our joy complete by coming home. Would you pray with me the words of God to God? And if you're already a Christian, let the gospel remind you of who you are and whose you are. That you're a part of the family of God. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would not die but have everlasting life. In Romans 3.23, every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus himself makes the audaciously exclusive claim to the truth of Christianity. He himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you object to the audacious exclusivity of Christianity, you must take that objection up with Jesus. Because Jesus who spoke the words, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 9, which 1 Corinthians 12 says can only come about through the Holy Spirit wave of God crashing over you right here and now at the proper time. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So as the Spirit of God draws upon your heart, would you pray with me right here and now? As the Spirit of God draws, may this be the day that you come home. The swell rises, the wave crashes, and we are swept away in grace. Would you pray with me? God, I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son. That if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. I confess, God, that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And I confess that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe that Jesus is the life. And I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. And so, drawn by the Holy Spirit of God, crashing over me right now, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved. A child of God in the true faith, eternal life that began before the ages, preached over me, manifested here and now in my salvation at this, the proper time. May I hear after be a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ sent.